Welcome to the Kid Men Podcast with Dr. Val and Dr. Virginia, where we talk about everything Kid Men. And pull back the curtain on some of the surprises and challenges in children's ministry that nobody prepares you for. I'm Dr. Val, and together we have over 45 years of experience in children's ministry. I'm Dr. Virginia. Valerie and I met over 10 years ago in our doctoral program at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We are excited to share with you all the great stuff that we have picked up over the years. We want to minister to you, the children's minister. Welcome. We are so glad that you are joining us today. Dr. Virginia, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Very excited for our interview this morning. We are very, very excited. Um, You have heard us mention our guest previously because we, um, in one of our very first episodes, talked about resources. And Virginia and I have a resource um, that was written by our guest that we love and have loved for a very long time and have used a lot and recommended people um, about preschoolers and teaching preschoolers. And so we are so very excited to welcome Marianne Bradbury to the podcast today. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be a part of our conversation today. Thank you for uh, inviting me to be here today. Absolutely. Thank you. So Marianne is the author of Teaching Preschoolers, First Steps Towards Faith. And so Valerie is showing her version as well. We have different versions and there's a third one out now. Um, of this book. That's a wonderful foundational, um, very helpful book for preschool ministry. Um, So let's just jump in though. Um, Marianne, can you tell us a little bit about your background in children's ministry, um, how you got started, just a little bit about yourself? Okay, I'd be glad to. Well, um, I began in uh, public school education, um, but then from when my children were born, God led me into church ministry. And then so I've been um, in, I guess, ministry for a long time uh, of 40 plus years. And so it's my calling um, really came when I, I was sitting in an early childhood class working on my master's degree. And the professor pointed her finger at each one of us in the class and said, if you don't stand up for young children, who will? And so it was at that point that I felt like God was, that was God's finger pointing to me and saying, that's what you have to do. And so little did I know that that would uh, lead me down a path uh, that I had no idea where it would go. It's probably a good thing. You don't know where God's leading you or you probably wouldn't want to go. So Um, true. (laughs) um, I served at my very first church when my children were um, young. They were preschoolers. Um, And then I spent about a total of about 14 years on doing um, being on church staff in children's ministries uh, in Texas and Oklahoma. And from there, God uh, opened a door for me to go to Lifeway, uh, Lifeway Christian Resources, where I served there for 12 years, uh, editing a variety of different materials in the childhood ministry publishing area. Um, And then um, my husband had an opportunity to come to Austin to take a job. And I had he had moved to Nashville for me to take my job. And so I felt like it was my turn to then, you know, let him have his, his, his job or his career that he was, uh, it was a job he had really wanted for a number of years. So uh, when I did that, when I left Lifeway, I thought I was retired and uh, little did I know (laughs) that um, 
God had op opened some doors I mean, almost immediately by the time we got here for me to serve two churches in this area in Austin as an interim. And then after that, um, I was approached about taking a job as the uh, executive director for Texas Baptist Church Weekday Association, mm -hmm. um, which we provide, which provided training for early childhood teachers in church programs across the state. So I did that for about eight years. Then I have a granddaughter that was born and decided that I really wanted to spend more time with her. So I retired from that right before COVID hit. Oh, oh wow. wow. Good timing. <laughs> yes, right. So that's allowed me to then be able to care for her and um, have Grammy school oh. for 18 months when I had her full time. And wow. so, uh, so that's basically where I am now. She's now in kindergarten and God just keeps opening doors for me to uh, do more training and lead more conferences and do things like this. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. Um, you know, I, 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 I knew this, but I'm really um, experiencing firsthand that I think when you're called a children's ministry, you never fully retire until, mm. you're, until you're dead. So, as long Amen. as I'm able, I'm here to do whatever God would have me to do in that area. Right. Right. Amen. That's the exciting thing about a calling. I think. I think exactly. it's 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 something that's that's built into us that God's given us, and so mm -hmm. it it just naturally happens wherever exactly. he places us he gives us opportunities to use these talents and gifts that he's given us and and we just have that desire to work with kids to work with parents to work with families and that's the difference between a job and a calling yes. mm -hmm. yeah, i think yes yep gets in your dna yeah, it does <laughs> yeah. it sticks with you, you wherever you go yeah you cannot not do it yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well let me let's jump in with um our first question so Let's say that you are talking to someone who is a brand new preschool director, never done it before. It is either they're either jumping into it or it has been thrust upon them. Um, what yeah, thrust are... upon me the first time. <laughs> that, that tends to be what we hear a lot. What, what are your top three recommendations for that brand new preschool minister? Oh, I love to do it. I get this. I've gotten this question, uh, you know over the years, uh, especially when I've been on a church staff position and they're looking to call like a children's minister, if I was just doing preschool and, you know, or whatever. But um, I have, I actually have three top things that I always um, share with even committees who are looking to hire or thrust upon uh, somebody <laughs> this, this job. Um, yeah, the first church where I served, I made the mistake of going to the minister of education at that time. That was what they were called. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, you know, there really needs to be things going on in the preschool. <laughs> and, you know, nobody was doing it. And I was so young and naive at that time. I didn't know better. Mm -hmm. And so the he looked me straight in the face. and He said, well, why don't you just do it? Yeah, yeah. That's how I got thrust in. <laughs> but anyway, um, the first thing that I would tell a person going into this position would be that you just really, you have to accept yourself as a leader. Mm. You have to recognize yourself as a leader, first of all, because you are, you are a leader, whether you really realize it or not. And you just by being in that position are, uh, have a, you have a sphere of a sphere of influence. And so you are going to be an influencer. So um, it's a position, but it's not an easy position. Um, and you have to, uh, you have to have a passion. Uh, 
uh, for what you do. But I think, first of all, you've got to just recognize yourself that uh, you are a leader and kind of look at what you think your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. You need to realize that you can't do everything mm -hmm. yourself. That's one of the mistakes I think a lot of people make, and I made it, uh, is that you think you can do it all. Uh, and you can't because you don't have your you don't have the strengths in all the areas that it requires for the for uh, this position. No one does. No, you know, there's not anyone that has the ability to do everything. We're we're created to work together. And so. exactly. So first of all, just accept the fact that you are a leader, and that you are going to have the uh, capability ability to to influence people. The second thing I would say is that. Um, your first job is to begin to build relationships with the people that you're going to be leading. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got to connect with them. You have to be intentional uh, in connecting with them. Uh, listen to them. Nobody wants to have someone new come in and just immediately start making changes and say, we're going to do blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, because change is hard and nobody likes change. Um, so take time to listen to them and connect with them. Uh, John Maxwell, Maxwell, who's one of my favorite um, leadership gurus, uh, has a statement that says, walk slowly through the crowd. Mm -hmm. And so I think you walk slowly into leading um, the, your, the, your people, um, even though sometimes that's hard because you might see things you want to want to change and change them really quickly and you'd like to do it overnight. Mm -hmm. But you um, will not be effective as a leader, unless you do it slowly and listen to um, your people uh, and then don't make any changes within the first, I used to say six months, but things change so quickly nowadays that I would say don't make any changes within at least the first three to four months um, because it, it will be hard for people to accept those changes quickly. Uh, the third thing um, is I would say be child-led. Um, learn everything you can about child development because it's going to be hard to lead a ministry mm -hmm. that is a ministry to children if you don't know the child. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one of the things that I have seen, um, I, I, not necessarily maybe a mistake, but maybe one of the things that's made ministry hard for some um, preschool ministers or directors is they, they're not sure about what's appropriate for children. Um, and so I would just say be a lifelong learner, learning everything you can uh, about that child that you're creating a ministry that's going to be for that, for that child. Virginia and I actually just finished a series, recording a series on child development and spiritual formation. And we were joking through the whole thing that we were really geeking out because we love to study and to learn about child development. We really enjoy that so much. And I think that a lot of times preschool children's ministers feel so pressured for events and programs that they really don't spend time focusing on the important because of the urgent. They tend to focus more on those than to really realize we're teaching children. So we really need to know how they develop and how they learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and um, kind of as a side note too, what I've, what I've had, what I've shared with like uh, committees who are, or teams who are looking to hire a, a, a 
or call a preschool uh, minister is the fact that, you know, first of all, if they've got to love God Amen. Um, and they've got to love children, if they don't love and have a passion for children, then the one, I, I don't think they can be successful. I think they'll be totally frustrated mm-hmm. uh, because then it just becomes a job of doing programs or activities yeah. mm-hmm. um, like you were mentioning. Right. Uh, and we have enough programs and activities. Yes. We need a passion for children. So one of the things, so whenever we recently got back from the Etch Conference, um, and I heard you uh, speak a couple times there, which was super fun. Um, And so one of your topics you spoke about was play and the importance of play. Um, So how is play central to the learning of young children? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Have we got all day? (laughs) Oh, and I think you were in my conference on my session on brain development. Yes. Well, um, and I may have mentioned in there. I don't I don't know, but I don't remember. But uh, talking about brain development and play uh, Mm -hmm. and nature, uh, Mm -hmm. which we'll kind of probably touch on, too, here as we talk more about play um, are my three really top. Uh, topics and priorities Mm -hmm. that I have personally now as I do training um, for teachers and um, even parents, because I think these are the three top things that children really need today. But play is critical. I mean, I don't know how to put it any more um, succinctly than that, Mm -hmm. is that it's critical. It is critical for a child's healthy development. A child will develop Mm. But it may not be in a healthy way and it may not develop healthily healthy in all of the areas of development. Um, but to me, it's just critical. Uh, and I, the research is just so clear um, when it comes to, to that. I mean, I, I just don't know how it could be more clear if you've read anything um, at all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to be in the educational research or the spirit the uh, theological research or just just out there it's just becoming so uh, general knowledge that play is just so critical for healthy child development Um, and I don't know why we can't get that I don't know why we can't get it um, that we still don't seem to be getting it I I hope that is moving a little bit toward more people understanding the -hmm. importance of play um but it's it, to me, it's just critical. We've got to get this play piece right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. For us to have healthy children. Well, and that's one of the reasons why I've, I've always loved your book so much. And, and a think- lot of times when you're looking in the church setting, when, mm-hmm. when teachers are leading preschoolers, there's either free play where they're just letting them play with anything in the room at any point. Mm-hmm. And or they are actually trying to force them to sit and listen Mm -hmm. to a lesson where they're teaching and almost trying to lecture to them. And then they get frustrated as to why they don't understand why they can't get the preschoolers to sit and listen, because a lot of these are volunteers with no educational background whatsoever. And so they have this picture in their mind. If they're teaching, they have to be sitting in front of the group that are sitting at tables and listening. And and so the concept of teaching through play I think it's something that there's a disconnect for a lot of people. That's right. Um, I think there's the disconnect because people don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think 
with the information that's out there on play today that people think they know what play is, um, but they really don't know what play is. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, because play is one of those things that's really hard to define because everybody, when you hear the word play, almost has a, a different concept mm-hmm. or a different, different definition or picture of play comes to mind. Uh, when they hear that word. A lot of times when people hear the word play, they think it's organized sports mm-hmm. or they think it's just an activity. Right. Um, but that's really not what play is. Uh, play is really a state of mind. That's what Stuart Brown says. Um, he's one of the main researchers in the area of play. And he says it's a state of mind, which it really is. Um, one of my favorite definitions, and this is the one I've taught my granddaughter. And if you ask her what play is, she'll say play is learning. Mm-hmm. Because playing is learning. That is how children, especially young children, learn. It is through their play. Um, One child who was, we were, uh, uh, a teacher shared this with me that they were talking about play. And he just said, play is what I do when everybody stops telling me what to do. Mm. Oh. That should, that should open our eyes. Yes. That is a strong statement right there. It isn't it? And it comes from a four-year-old child. It right. A four-year-old child mm-hmm. who made that statement. I think we have to understand that play is a process. It's not an activity, as I just mentioned earlier. It's not an, it's not an activity. Play is a process. Um, one of my favorite um, writers on play is a lady called Penny Brownlee. But she has a statement where she said that a child's right to play is like putting a goldfish in a chicken coop and expecting it to survive. Mm -hmm. right because play is about uh, a lot about um, providing the the correct environment or the Mm -hmm. appropriate environment for the children to experience that play um, and to get involved in that play one of the things that people don't understand about play I think is that they don't they don't understand the connection between play and all of those skills Mm. that we call executive function skills, Mm -hmm. the connection between those skills and play. Mm -hmm. Play is the one thing that best develops, if not the only thing that develops those Mm -hmm. skills of uh, impulse control, Mm self-regulation, problem solving, flexibility, attention, those are all the things that if you talk to parents and teachers, that's one of the, those are the things that they say they want children to have. Well, they just don't pay attention or they just don't sit still or they don't do this or they don't do that. It is through play that all of those things are best developed. So, so how can we help our, our volunteers, our ministry teachers, understand play as a part of learning? Because we do have a lot of cultural misconceptions. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that we can do to equip our volunteers and our teachers um, to use play well? Oh, that's a hard one. I wish I had the <laughs> magic bullet for that yeah. or the magic answer to that. Right. I think the key to it is just education. Mm-hmm. We have to keep, we just have to keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like I said, if, if they don't know what they don't know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we can create an environment as preschool ministers or directors where we can show children at involved in what's called free unstructured play, because this is the mm-hmm. type of play that develops these skills. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not like, like you, you mentioned, Valerie, it's not right. like a free for all. Um, because your role as a teacher is that you're the facilitator. Mm-hmm. I've almost come to not like the word teacher mm-hmm. simply because of what Valerie was sharing earlier is that our connotation of a teacher mm-hmm. is that you're going to sit down. And I'm going to tell you something. Right. And if you don't sit still and listen to what I say, then you're not learning. Mm-hmm. So we've got to do, we've got to re-educate to what the role of the teacher is. Mm-hmm. And the role of the teacher is really to set up an environment with some unstructured open materials that, that nowadays are being called loose parts mm-hmm. um, and allow the children then to make their choices and decisions about and use their creativity to, um, to, to play. Right. And as you listen, as you watch, we have to be observers. I think with one, one of the things we have to teach uh, teachers and parents is that they need to be observers of their children mm-hmm. and, and to be quiet. Cause as adults, we're mm-hmm. so quick to step in and right. say, well, why don't you do this? Or mm-hmm. do or let's try this or, and not that you would not ever do that, but if you just step back and allow a child to create and to listen to what he's, you know, what maybe he's talking to another child or just talking to himself or, or even talking to you by just being present. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think you will see the joy that comes Uh, when I really began to do more research in the area of free play and especially the idea of being in nature or outdoors or in in a concept known as outdoor classroom uh, and observing children, what I saw when they were in those types of environments is that they were joyful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't see joyful children today. That's one of the things that breaks my heart is that we don't see joy in children today. Mm -hmm. You just look around uh, and I don't care if it's church, if it's Mm -hmm. in a grocery store or wherever, you don't see joy in children, Mm -hmm. in most children. I won't say it all, but in Mm -hmm. most children, you don't see them smiling. You don't see them enjoying life. They are stressed, mm-hmm. having meltdowns, um, mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things. You just, you have to just keep talking about it. It's just one right. of those things yeah. you have to be as a leader. It's one of those things where I was talking about being a leader is that you have to be passionate about it yourself. Mm-hmm. If you don't like children playing mm-hmm. in this type of environment, having some choices right. and decisions and problem solving and right you know, cooperating and all those kinds of, if you are not passionate about seeing that in children, it's going to be hard for you to um, convey that to teachers and parents. Right. 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 Uh, I think there are parents, uh, some of the young parents that I have opportunities to be around 
are becoming concerned that their children mm -hmm. are having meltdowns and all yes. these challenging behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I had a mom say to me uh, once, what do I do? Why is she doing this? And I said, how much free play has she had? And she said, I don't know. I'm not, she's at school all day or she was in daycare mm -hmm. all day. She says, I don't know. I said, that's the first thing you need to find out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Children need four or five to eight hours of active free, pre, active free play um, every day. Mm -hmm. and that's a lot a lot right? that's a lot and four to six hours of that actually should be outdoors yeah which is not happening a lot not these no. days because because of either living situations or people being concerned about safety or parents feeling like they don't have the time to be outside mm -hmm. with their kids to monitor them and so they are are focused more on television and video game type things that they can play and do uh, inside and parents have to work and you know th that's but it comes down to being intentional about the time that you do have. Yes. Um, that if you just have an hour where you can get your children outside and letting them play um, and enjoy and, and don't, don't guide that play, mm -hmm. just create, put them in an environment that is safe or that you've created and just let them go. Just and take the words, be careful out of your vocabulary. Mm. Well, and one of the things that always frustrated me when I was working with leaders is that they would have this tendency to want to have that control, yeah. you know, telling, telling pre young preschoolers, no, on that picture, the grass has to be green. Mm -hmm. Or I would walk by the hall and you would see all the artwork that's sitting in the hall and they all look exactly the same right. and they're all perfect. You know, all the fish have the eyes where they're supposed to be and the gills where they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, a so let's talk a little bit more about that outdoor free play and balancing considerations, you know, as a preschool director with things like safety and liability. We've got, we do have a playground at our church, um, which is pretty, I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm going to use the term playground loosely. <laughs> it's an enclosed patch of mulch with some little riding toys and some climbing things. It's very, um, very basic, but it works, does the job. Um, and, you know, whenever I let my personal children play, I have two-year-olds, um, mm -hmm. you know, I definitely, I let them do more as a mom than I would probably feel comfortable you know, doing with liability concerns right. as a children's minister. And so how do we balance those concerns of, you know, yes, we do want to give opportunities for outdoor free play, but we also have to think about safety and security and liability. Mm -hmm. And so how do we balance all that as children's ministers? Well, that's kind of a tough one. I mean, I understand the need for like, you know, you, you have to, you have to have that in your mind. You have to have a mindset that, you know, you've got to create a safe environment. Um, I think it just comes down to creating that outdoor space, like you were talking about, you know, the mulch, the riding toys and stuff, which to me sounds wonderful. <laughs> you know? Because that's where children can really explore and discover what they're capable of doing. Um, I think we have to, as preschool uh, directors, we have to keep that in our mind of the the you know security and and all of that. But 
I don't think it's something that we have to necessarily always convey to the point mm-hmm. that we are making children children fearful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I see happening sometimes is, mm-hmm. is that, you know, oh, we can't do there because we can't go over there because, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have to be careful over here. Mm-hmm. Right? You may know that in your mind, but to say that out loud to children automatically makes them anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and when children start exploring, like if they're uh, climbing on, let's say you've got some rocks, mm-hmm. which make people cringe. But <laughs> let's just say that there's some rocks over here and the children are wanting to climb on those. Well, in the back of your mind, you're saying, oh, I better tell them to be careful. Or, you know, are they really safe doing that? You may think that in your mind, but what the action should be is to you just very calmly watch what they're doing, be close to them and say things like, oh, that looks like that's 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 a high rock or that's that is really, um, you know, something that looks like it. it, it do you want to try that or say to them, um, I'm right here if you need help because most of the time children know their own limitations in their bodies uh, and they need to challenge their bodies in order to thrive. And we're not allowing children to really see what they're, what they're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's really key to brain development as well because through this out out, well, I, well, it can be indoors, but I think primarily the outdoor play that challenges them and offers some risk allows them to mm-hmm. know what they're capable of doing. And once they learn what they're capable of doing, what their bodies can do, they are actually safer. So again, it's just a matter of weighing what you think is the most important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you going to uh, to allow certain things um, for the children to to explore and discover uh, and knowing that you're going to be or a teacher's going to be there to observe them and to be close by them and to let the child know I'm here if you need help. Mm-hmm. That's one of the best statements that we need to get parents and teachers to using, you know. That looks like that might could be kind of hard, but I'm right here if you need help. Mm-hmm. Or I'm so glad you're trying to do that. Just let me know if you need any help. I, I think one of the, the great things about your comment, too, is that the, the, the leader is interacting with the preschooler while they are outside. They're close mm-hmm. by. They're talking mm-hmm. with them. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're doing these activities along with them as opposed mm-hmm. to being in a corner with a group of adults talking, <laughs> talking. while the kids are just randomly playing. Thank you for making that point clear. That's exactly what the role of the teacher should be mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that you're going to be right there, you know, not hovering over, over mm-hmm. them, right. but you're going to be a, a distance where you, you, if you saw them start to, you know, fall and in, in, you know, get into a situation which would really be dangerous or hazardous, you're right there. But if you're over on the other side of the playground visiting with another teacher mm-hmm. or something like that, then you're not, going to be there to to help them if needed uh, so just getting that mindset into to parents and teachers uh, automatically gives you a safer environment 
Recently, we took um, our own children to our community playground, which is a really nice playground. We've got a good playground. Mm-hmm. Our um, children are two, not quite two and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, we let them, my daughter wanted to climb up. It's sort of, it was like a rope thing that kind of like a spider web. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of stood yeah. there and just let her try it. And I was so surprised. I thought she's yes. going to get stuck. She's going to like fall through these holes, no. but she didn't. No, she no, just climbed. No. She just yes, scuttled yes, right yes. up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. And so, and she talked about it too. Like she was so proud. Like she yes. talked about doing the ropes on the playground, you know, for days afterwards. And so mm-hmm. she's, you know, asked to go back and she wants yeah. to do the ropes. And so it was. Herself, and she found out she could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a similar story about uh, my granddaughter is that there's uh, uh, just a small playground and it had um, kind of a similar thing to what you were talking about, but it was uh, like that hard plastic, but it was a round structure and mm-hmm. you can climb in and under and all that. At different times she had tried calling, cr- uh, climbing to certain heights. Mm-hmm. Well, she'd get to a certain height and then she would get on top of it. But right in the center of this structure was a round, it was a round disc about like this. Right. And I knew she wanted to get up on that, but she would hesitate. Well, not too long ago, uh, it was this summer, we were at that playground and she climbed on that and she climbed all the way to that disc and got both of her feet on that disc. Uh And she was going to try to stand straight up. And my heart kind of went, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But this is one time you don't say a word. I didn't say a word. I just watched. She got both of her feet on that and she stood straight up, put her hands in the air and went, yes. Yay. Oh, so excited. And I so wanted to take a picture. <laughs> I didn't want to disturb, you know, the concentration on that. But yeah. she was proud. And that's what we need to help children understand. They can be proud of their accomplishments uh, and to feel confident. And that's what comes from this type of play. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we often forget, and Virginia mentioned this in our previous episode, when we were talking about childhood development and their brains and the way their their brains develop, Mm -hmm. when you really instill that spirit of fear early, Mm -hmm. how long that will continue through because of how Mm -hmm. it changes the way you look at the world and look at how you interact with the world. It changes the brain. Yeah, it does. And, and so, and then that's a really hard thing to overcome as children Mm -hmm. get older. I think we forget that that is something that we really have to think about as we're working with these really young children that we don't want them to have that, that, that fear of always being afraid to try new things, do new things. I can't do this. I'm too small or I'm too scared, you know, that that type of thing. And that's a key to resiliency too. Yeah. If they, that sense of fear plays into whether or not you feel that you can keep going or you keep trying, you know, Mm -hmm. face uh, different things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I really just like to tell parents and teachers just to take the words, be careful out of your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. And I I try to do that and I still catch myself. I know it's almost reflexive. I know it's just (laughs) because it's so ingrained Mm -hmm. in us. So yeah, just, just take those words out of your vocabulary and use things like, well, I'm here to help you. If you need help, let me know. Um, and that gives the child more a sense of security of knowing there is, you know, there is an adult there if I need them. There's right. somebody there right. if I need them. Right. One thing that I read recently, another one was something to the effect of like, you know, what, what's your plan or like, what's your next step if they're, mm-hmm. you know, playing somewhere or doing something that we feel is kind of dangerous or risky saying like, okay, well, what, what's your plan? What's your next step? 
um, and let them explain what they're thinking and what they're Mm -hmm. thinking about doing before we just assume that they don't know what they're doing. This is dangerous. So on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So. But they do know pretty much. They, I mean, mm-hmm. they probably they have somewhat of a plan because they're problem solving. Mm-hmm. A perfect example of problem solving, of okay, how am I going to get from here to here, without mm-hmm. falling, or how am I going to get to that next, next step on the on that rope ladder? Or- As we talked about, we love talking about kids' brains and kids, you know, brain development and that sort of thing. <laughs> um, so if you can only share three things with children's ministry leaders about children's developing brains, what three things would you share? Okay. Um, that's another hour long topic. I know. It is. It really so is. Well, these are my top three. And these are usually the ones when I just have about an hour um, to do a, a, a session on the brain. These are the usually the top three that I try to make sure that uh, I communicate. And the first one is that a child's brain uh, is born immature, but it is ready to learn. But that brain has to be built. It's just like building a house. Um, You have to have a good foundation. uh, And the way that a young child's brain is, is built from infancy on lays the groundwork or the foundation for whether or not they will develop a healthy mindset um, a healthy brain. Um, and I think it's key to them building and understanding what it like is like to have a relationship with God. All of these higher level functioning skills that we were talking about earlier, uh, the foundation for those are laid in those first few years of life. We know that about 90% of the child's brain uh, is developed by the age of five. That is the adult you know, adult size, not that the connections are not going to change and wiring you, wiring and you, all of that is going to neural pathways will be developed as they grow and develop. But 90% of that is laid in the first five years of life. Uh, and to me, that is so critical for us to get those first five, six, seven, eight years, just, you know, just to get them right. Mm-hmm. But within that development of that, of the brain during those first five years, we have to remember that, the brain is built from the bottom up, meaning that the lower parts of the brain from the brain stem, those parts of the brain known as the emotional centers of the brain um, are the ones that develop or well, they're actually in control um, because they're in the center, kind of at the bottom in the center of the brain and they are functioning from birth. So young children start to, uh, or we all start to, sh- to share, to store those emotional experiences um, from birth. So it is so important for us to remember that we operate out of our emotional brain during those first few years. Uh, the first three to five years of, of life, children live uh, in the present or in the moment, which is living out of the right hemisphere uh, of the brain. So the brain is really designed to feel and act before it is to think Um, allowing children to live in the present or in the present moment allows them to stop and smell the roses, pick up the ladybugs, all of those kinds of things, which are so important then that try back, tie back to play. 
See how that all that connects? I just get excited because it all just connects. Oh, it's so cool. (laughs) Oh, and you talking about, you know, young children living in the moment. I'm just like that. That is where we are at with our children, with our twin two-year-olds. It's like, yes. (laughs) Everything you're saying is describing my life. (laughs) We don't do that, or not very many of us do. We live in the left side of the brain, which is the analytical, Mm -hmm. you know, analyze everything, you know get all the ducks in a row, all organize everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's very frustrating for children because we right. don't, we don't allow them to be in the moment mm-hmm. um, and to function in the moment as they're designed to, to be. Uh, number two is that how we build this brain, the brain is built through experiences mm-hmm. um, and the types of experiences that young children have affect the quality of the wiring of the brain. Um, and we would hope that all the experiences are positive. Unfortunately, not all those are positive. Mm-hmm. And so we have to step back a little bit and realize that when we are uh, working with children or ministering to children is that we have to realize that some children are really affected by the negative experiences that they encounter. Mm-hmm. If they encounter uh, are in an abusive environment, both physically, emotionally, or in a neglectful environment, um, I think I mentioned the idea of adverse childhood experiences at the conference, and that's another whole um, thing that when children experience experiences chronic stress mm-hmm. uh, during those young years, especially, their brain becomes wired to just expect that that's how they will be treated mm-hmm. because the brain likes predictability or it, it can predict or does predict. Mm-hmm. So based on prior experiences, then the brain uh, of a young child in those types of settings learns to predict that I'm going to be abused or I'm going to be neglected or, you know, whatever. So I don't, we can talk about you know, providing all those positive experiences, mm-hmm. um, but I, we can't fail to realize that, especially today, so many children are experiencing that chronic stress. Right. And my fear is that their their brains are being wired for their anxiety, uh, all those mental mental issues that we're seeing pro- so prevalent today, even in young children. Mm-hmm. And one of the latest studies from the Center on the Developing Child out of Harvard is that even infants can experience is, can experience depression mm-hmm. and really deep sadness. Hmm. And it, it breaks my heart because then that kind of leads me into the third thing. The brain needs and seeks relationships. Mm-hmm. And this really is key to some of those negative experiences that they might encounter. Um, we're wired for relationships. God wired us for a relationship with him. It's key to who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in those early years when children can experiencing experience that loving, nurturing care that they develop that secure attachment. Mm-hmm. And the research shows that if a child has just that secure, that loving, nurturing, secure attachment to just one adult, just to one adult, it can make the difference mm-hmm. in some of those negative experiences they might they might uh, might encounter mm-hmm. but the research of dr dan siegel in books like the whole brain child and some of those others that that he has written and which mm-hmm. i would recommend they're not mm-hmm. books but 
great books for learning about the brain. Relationships are kind of experience. And it's an experience that will change the structure or the wiring mm -hmm. um, of the brain. So that would be my top three. And mm -hmm. I can go on and on probably about either one of those. <laughs> but, uh, well, we wish we could go on and on because we enjoy it as well. <laughs> yeah. so. um, our last question um, also comes from the Edge Conference. Um, at the conference, you mentioned um, the heart-brain connection. Oh. And you talked about how there are more connections going from the heart to the brain than there are the brain to the heart. So the heart is communicating right. more to the brain exactly. than the brain is to the heart. Right. So can you tell and us a little more about that? And to me, that's what's so exciting. And, you know, as I said, in, 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 this has been some of the most exciting um, um, information that I have have kind of gotten into in, in, in a long time because I've been studying the brain for oh, more than 20 years, I think it is now. I have felt all along that in studying the brain that it's just it's just amazing how God created us in getting into all this brain study. I've, I really felt the need to start sharing all of this because I think it is so we just need to understand how God created us. Yeah. But we do have something like, I think, what, two billion heart heart um, um, neuro cells uh, within our heart and circling our heart. There's a magnetic field that circles our heart that contains some of those um, neuro cells. Um, and some of the related stuff I've read, it even uh, talks about the fact that we really have a small heart, a small brain within our heart. Mm. Uh, so I can't, I, I'm going to do some more study in that area, but it, it, it really is. Um, I think it's so biblical. Yeah. I, I looked up cause I wanted to be sure, but I looked it up again. If you think about the references to the heart in the Bible, uh, depending on the translation that you look at, but in the NIV translation, the heart is mentioned 500 times. Mm -hmm. The Christian Standard Bible, which is the heart, word heart is mentioned 685 times. Mm -hmm. So there are verses like Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Mm -hmm. um, another one that I really like is Ma Matthew six twenty one. for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So think about for where your treasure is. If children are a treasure, then they will be in our hearts. But more importantly, if we can touch and connect, we're back to that connect relationship piece mm -hmm. if we can connect to the hearts of children yeah. that information from their heart those feelings that they have in their heart that nurturing loving caring feeling they have in their heart mm -hmm. is going to travel to their brain it's going to you know repeated experiences like that mm -hmm will change the wiring mm -hmm. and the structure of the brain. And then that, in turn, affects their minds. So Colossians, what, 3, 2, I think it is, it says, set your minds on things that are above, mm -hmm. not on things on the earth. Mm -hmm. The way to help our children set their minds on God is through their heart. We finally have... Um, not that we needed the proof, not that we needed the research, 
Mm-hmm. But we have finally come to, I think, the point where we can say, yes, yes, connect to the heart. And you are going to change the brains of children. And I think adults too, but right. we're talking, talking about children. <laughs> so the key to teaching children to me is it just boils down to, you just got to connect to their hearts. See, and I think that comes full circle back to what you were saying even earlier is that when you're talking about not really thinking of yourself as a teacher anymore, where you're trying to impart mm-hmm. knowledge, but mm-hmm. you're building a relationship with exactly. children to help them understand there's such a big difference when you look Mm -hmm. at it that way and you see what effect the heart has on the mind and what children can learn and understand. I really try to drive home that point whenever I'm doing any type of training is that your number one job is to build a relationship. Mm -hmm. Your number one job as a teacher is a parent. Even I think is to build that relationship is to build a relationship because God wired us that way. Oh, well, Marianne, thank you so very much for joining us today. Um, this thank you has, for asking me. It's so interesting and so helpful and just practical information for us as we're leading our ministries, as we're working with our children. If there are any listeners out there who would like more information or would like me to give specific resources, um, uh, they can contact me through Facebook. It's just Marianne Bradbury at face on Facebook. And you can also uh, contact me through messenger that way. Um, just mentioned that, you know, you heard me on this podcast and, you know, and I could, um, you know, maybe give you more specific research about maybe what you're looking on. Now, are you going to be speaking at any other conferences coming up that you'd like to promote? Or? Um, uh, let's see my speaking anywhere. I'm going to be speaking in Missouri uh, in mm-hmm. March. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Linwood Baptist Church. Uh, I, I, this is my, I was there in September and I'm going back in March. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you happen to be listening in, in that area, um, you could contact Linwood and I'm sure they would let you, you um, come to that. Um, right. I'm going to be speaking, I'm going to be a keynote speaker at the, um, what well, was the Texas Baptist Church Weekday Association. Now it's the Early, Child, Early Childhood Christian Network. We changed, they changed the name, right? I'm going to be the keynote speaker there this yeah, summer. It's, it's been a joy for me to be able to have this conversation with you all and with your listeners and uh, helping to get the word out there. Thank you for being willing to talk about this particular topic and get some of this information. Oh, well, it's, it's definitely been a lot of fun and it definitely is interesting for us. So I, yeah. I know that it will be interesting for people joining in the conversation. And so, um, Uh, Friends, we just thank you so much for joining the three of us today as we talked about this topic. And and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.